following is a presentation of the Connection Church, a place where people are being set free. If you'd like to know more information about our community, you can join us online at connectionchurchnc.com. Yo, y'all feeling good? My name's Brent. I'm the Connections pastor here at the church. Um, so y'all survived the snow and ice storm 2013, brave the weather. Y'all are the saved ones, you know that? Y'all the ones going to heaven. <clears throat> Just kidding, if y'all, if y'all know people that stayed in bed, it's all good. There's grace at the cross, you know what I'm saying? God's grace, he's good. Anyway, so, uh, fingerprints, identity. Your fingerprint. Now, I know it's kind of dark in here, but take a minute. Just glance at your finger, your fingerprint, the skin on the surface of your hand. It forms these little ridges, right? Look at them. I ain't lying right now. Look at them. (laughs) Look at them. Your fingerprints. They're, they're unique to every individual in the world. The pattern on your hands are unique. Even identical, even identical twins who share the same DNA have different fingerprints. Every single person. These friction ridges, that's what those little raised parts are called. The, the friction ridges, whenever you touch something... It leaves an impression on almost every single thing that you touch. It lets people know where you have been. It's your mark. It's your calling card that lets people know that you have been there. Now, I'm not a huge TV watcher, but I have noticed that uh, solving crime type TV shows are everywhere, okay? Apparently, they are a big deal because every single station known to man uh, has a crime-type solving TV show that comes on, all right? Are you one of those people that likes the crime shows, okay? Um, from Sherlock Holmes to CSI to, like, real-life ones, the the first 48 or something like that. My, my mom, she's all about some crime TV shows. That's what she watches uh, all the time. But, but those, those shows, man, people are intrigued by the investigation, right? People want to know how, who done it, right? Who done it? Clue. Remember that game back in the day? It was uh, Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick. You know what I'm saying? Like trying to figure out who did it on shows like that. That's one of the first things that they do is they pull out the the dust stuff. You know what I'm saying? They do the fingerprint stuff. They want to find fingerprints. Now, if the game of Clue came with a fingerprint dusting kit, okay, the game would be done in like 2.5 seconds. Colonel Mustard did it. I saw it. Fingerprints on a candlestick. But, but that's what this whole thing is about, sending stuff off to the lab to find the DNA, to figure out the fingerprint. They're looking for evidence that links 
the pieces of the puzzle together to find out who did it. They want to connect the crime committed with the person who did it. On those shows, the show ends when they are looking for identity, when they find the person that did it. It's about identity. You see, in forensics, fingerprints are the trump card. Fingerprints are the trump card because fingerprints are unique to every single individual. And so somebody can deny it all day long, but if their fingerprint says they were there, then they were there. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You can't deny that because fingerprints don't lie. Now, Pastor Scott, last week, he used Galatians 5 kind of as a backdrop. And I, and I want to I kind of piggyback onto that as well, kind of as a backdrop of where we're going today. It says this, it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. All right, it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. All right, so, so watch this. The, the identity or the fingerprint of Jesus is freedom. All right? Say that with me. Say, the fingerprint, say fingerprint, is freedom. Jesus' fingerprint is freedom. That is his identity. He sets us free. He loosens the chains. He unbinds us to be able to live a life of freedom. All right, so the question that I want to ask this morning is what does it look like for us to bear the fingerprint, the identity of Jesus? When we leave our mark on something that shows that we have been there, what do people see? What is the fingerprint that we are leaving? As a follower of Christ, how do we know that Jesus' fingerprint is what people are seeing when they see us. Because Jesus is freedom. It says in his word. So I want to look into that a little bit deeper this morning. Y'all ready to get geared up? All right, so, so get your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. It'll be up on the screen. Pull out your phone. Do whatever you need to do to get there. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of give you some context All right, in Hebrews 10, context is key. All right, understanding what was going on during that day is going to unlock this passage for us. All right, so I'm going to kind of give you some backstory while you're turning in your Bible. So the author of Hebrews, right, was writing this book, this letter to Jewish Christians. All right, track with me on this. He was writing to Jewish Christians. Now, persecution during that time was rampant. People were being beaten and killed and all this kind of stuff for their faith. If they claimed Jesus, if you became a follower of Christ in that day, it basically meant that you were probably going to be beat for your faith and that you might lose your life, okay? So saying yes to following Jesus meant something a little bit different because you literally were putting your life on the line. 
All right, Rome was the government power of that day, and they did not like Christianity. So that meant that you might die if you said yes to Jesus. Okay, now on the other hand, Judaism, all right, the Jewish traditions of following the the Old Testament rituals and laws and all that stuff, Rome was okay with. Okay, it was legal to be a Jew. It was illegal to be a follower of Christ. Okay, so get this. The reason that Hebrews was written was because the author was trying to encourage the Jews who had, who had accepted Christ to not turn back and go back to, to Judaism. Okay? See how easy that would be. I was a Jew, and I was, everything was fine. My life was good. I wasn't dying, <laughs> right, or being chased or killed. My family wasn't being killed or beat or taken from me. And then I accepted Jesus, my identity became freedom, quote unquote, and I'm being killed, and I'm being persecuted, and I'm watching my family be killed and persecuted, and all that kind of stuff. So you can see the pressure was to say, I kind of like it over here. (laughs) This is a little bit easier, a little more comfortable. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey guys, stay the course, all right? So let's jump in, Hebrews 10, 26. Keep that in the back of your mind as we read this. Hebrews 10, 26, it says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. All right, stop right there for one sec. This is where, at first read, we are tempted um, to, to go, you see, there it is. Scripture just says it. The presence of sin determines your identity. The Bible clearly says, if you keep on sinning after you become a follower of Jesus, then you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says right there. If we keep on sinning after becoming a follower of Jesus, we are going to burn in hell. Now, I don't know about you, but it was verses like that that I read as a kid, and it kept me up at night many a times, kneeling at my bedside, pleading for Jesus to save me because I had sinned that day. Does that identify with anybody? I've been saved like 10 million times, okay? It was a normal part of my behavior as a child. I went to church. The pastor scared me to death. I thought I was going to die and go to hell because I sinned. And then I would spend my days saying, oh, shoot, (laughs) I hope God doesn't burn me or, or whatever. But then we see scriptures like Galatians 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. The identity, the fingerprint of Jesus is freedom. I don't get it. See, this interpretation is a little bit flawed because the writer of Hebrews in these two verses is not talking about identity. He's talking about motivation. What is behind why you do what you do? Remember, as we discussed, the Jewish Christians were being pressured to come back to Judaism because it was easy. It was comfortable. 
And so the writer is saying, guys, your motivation can't be to pursue comfort. It can't be to do what you want to do. If you go back to the Jewish Old Testament practices to avoid being persecuted, you're missing out. So what the writer is saying is don't turn your back. Don't go back to where you came from. See, the author was telling the readers that if their motivation was selfish, if it was all about avoiding the persecution of Rome by sliding back into practicing the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals and rules, you know what, you could even maybe be a Christian. I could, I'll believe in Jesus, but I'm just going to act like a Jew. I'm just gonna, everything's going to be it's totally fine. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to kind of slide back to these Old Testament practices And the writer is saying, if you do that, then Jesus' sacrifice becomes powerless. There is no other sacrifice for sins. You can go back to the Old Testament and practice the rules and the rituals and all the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff all you want to all day long, but there is no other sacrifice. This is God's redemptive plan. Jesus is it. There is no plan B. If you turn your back on Jesus, then his sacrifice means nothing. It's powerless. And what he was saying is Jews who accepted Jesus and said, I want to be free, when it got tough, they said, nah, you know what? I'm okay. <laughs> this jail cell, is, is, it's kind of small, right? And, and there's not a lot of room, but at least I'm not dying for my faith. It's okay. I'll just kind of stay back here. No problem. Author of Hebrews says, if you turn your back on the freedom that he gives you, you're willingly going back to bondage. There's no other sacrifice. I love that. Jesus came for freedom. By the way, freedom is also being set free from your own selfish motives. I think a lot of times we think that freedom is defined as being able to do whatever we want to do. And that's not true. Truly finding freedom is saying, I'm selfish and I'm screwed up and I'm messed up. And Jesus, I know that your way is pure and right And that you put me back in the right standing with God. And if I want to live a powerful, successful life in you, you have to show me how to do it. So Jesus, I'm yours. Take it. That's freedom. Not to do whatever you want. Not to selfishly say, ah, times are getting tough. I'm going to go on back. It's to do whatever Jesus leads you to do. So if you want to know, a benchmark of following Jesus is selflessness, not selfishness. Selfishness pushes you to pursue comfort all day long. If you want your fingerprint to be Jesus, if you want to live in the freedom that he gives, in the power of his sacrifice, be 
selfless. Always pursue the lower road. That is what this whole thing is about. It is so easy. Like for me, when I get done with work, it's so easy for me to go home and to sit down at the TV and turn on the TV and just do nothing. When I have two children that are dying for my attention, it's so easy to say, I want to be selfish. And what's crazy is we think that if I pursue comfort, that my life is going to be better. If I just sit on that, on that sofa and watch TV and veg out and check out, then my life is going to be better. You know what's better? Investing in the lives of my kids. Getting on the floor and playing, even though I'm spent and I'm tired, I don't want to do it, cutting the same little heart out 5,000 times, coloring the same picture over and over, doing the same thing. It gets hard. But man, you want to find freedom? Serve someone else other than you. It's what Jesus did. The Word of God did not consider him equality with God to be anything, but took this very place of a servant. The Son of God came down to serve us. You want to know what it looks like to be Jesus? Be selfless. You see, this is where this hits home for us. Because when we lead our lives, we're either going to pursue rebellion or performance. When I lead my life, we are either rebellious by nature or we're performance by nature. I am a rebellious person by nature. Okay, you turn me loose on my own day doing whatever the heck I want to do and I am going to run away. Okay, somebody says don't touch it, you know what I want to do? I want to touch it, right? Somebody says, don't turn that light on. I want to turn the light on. People said, don't do this, don't do that. I want to do whatever you tell me not to do. It's part of who I am. I don't know why God created me that way. I'm naturally a rebellious person. My wife, on the other hand, is performance. If you tell her, don't touch that light, don't you turn that light on, she's going to go, you know what? I really don't want to touch that light. Because that person's going to get mad at me. It's, they're, they're gonna be, it's going to hurt their feelings if I do that. I, I really don't want to touch that light. What's bad about it is either way, whether it's rebellion or performance, if we are leading our life, we're motivated to be comfortable. I don't want somebody to be mad at me, so I'm not going to turn the light on. Or, you know what, forget that. I'm going to go turn the light on do whatever I want to do. It's me doing what I want. And it's so wrong author of Hebrews says you're missing the mark. That's what sin is. The definition of sin is to miss the mark. We are missing the mark of why Jesus came and died. We don't understand what his sacrifice actually means if we're motivated by ourselves as we walk with Jesus. Goes on to say in verse 28, let's, let's look at this, unpack this for a second. In uh Verse 28-29, it says, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
how much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Man, these verses are intense. All right, the author of Hebrews is essentially telling the Jewish Christians that are reading this that, that the punishment for turning your back on the Old Testament laws and rituals, like back in Deuteronomy 17, I believe it is, it actually says if someone turns their back on the Old Testament laws, if someone turns their back on God, then they are to die. Okay, and, and so he's saying that, that that's what that is. There's, there's nothing really about it. It just results in death, right? There actually, in the Old Testament, there was no sacrifice for blatant, deliberate turning away from God. Every other sin they had a sacrifice for, you know, you give two doves and you give a goat and you give a bull and this and that and the other, all those kind of things, but there was no sacrifice that covered deliberate turning away from God. Deuteronomy 17 says those people are to be killed outside of the camp. The author of Hebrews is saying, if that same thing is true, how can we possibly expect God, who is just and righteous and holy and morally fair, just as much as he is loving and gracious and caring. See, a lot of times we forget that God has a lot of these characteristics. He is morally right and fair and just as much as he is loving and gracious. How can we expect God to do nothing if you willingly turn your back on his redemptive plan for this world? How can we expect a righteous God to do nothing if we don't accept his way out? <laughs> Jesus is our way out. And that's what the writer of Hebrews was telling them. He's saying that you are spitting in God's face by thinking that there is some other way into right standing with God other than the way he provided through Jesus. It'd be like this. Donald Trump. <clears throat> He's got a couple dollars, right? If Donald Trump put on a party, all right, you went to a party and you got invited, okay, to a party that Donald Trump is putting on, all right, and, and, and you go in, and it is swag city, all right? It is everything, crazy town. I mean, it's Donald Trump, right? The dude's got buckets and buckets of, of dollar bills. You know what I'm saying? He takes baths in $100 bills, and, and so the dude is crazy rich. And, and, and you go up to him at the end of this party that, that you were invited to and go, Mr. Trump, man, this party was amazing. This was the real deal. This was so cool. You know, but, but I, I kind of feel like... I need to help you out a little bit, but just, you know, let me help you with the expenses of this party. So you reach into your back pocket and you pull out a crisp $1 bill. You put it in the hand of Donald Trump. Here, let me help pay for the party. I mean, would we do that? <laughs> Absolutely not. Even though that's a, a, a silly illustration <laughs> That's what we do with God sometimes. 
is we go, God, you've provided this beautiful way out for me, this redemptive plan through your son, that all I have to do is just willingly believe That's where my identity is found in absolute belief and faith in him. That's where freedom is. But you know what? I feel like I got to do something more. Let me give you my righteousness, Mr. Trump. And God is looking at us going, my child, are you kidding me? When my daughter and I are playing a game and she comes up to me and says I want to buy this and she pulls out Monopoly money I laugh and I realize that she's four she doesn't know any better I wonder if that's the way God thinks about us sometimes when we think that somehow our righteousness if we read the Bible enough or we pray enough or we come to church enough or, or we brave the ice storm and, or whatever, that somehow that's going to put us back in the right standing with God, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with standing on no other sacrifice but Jesus. Imagine this with me. You're standing in a courtroom. You're ready to be tried for a crime that you absolutely committed. They have your fingerprints at the scene of the crime. You know you are absolutely guilty of the crime. There is no way around it. You are going to be sentenced to death. The judge walks in and he takes his seat. And your lawyer immediately gets up and rushes to the judge and says, Hey, judge, your honor, I have proof that this man is innocent. I have proof that this woman is innocent. And he pulls out the evidence, the fingerprints from the crime scene and you go oh shoot what is he doing that's the thing the very thing that's going to condemn me pulls out the evidence and he proceeds to show the fingerprints to the judge and the fingerprints are the lawyers your lawyers fingerprints were at the scene of the crime And he looks at you with love in his eyes and a heart full of mercy and grace. And he says, my client is innocent. I'm the one who's going to take his blame. The guards in the courtroom take him away. And he's punished for your sin. That's what Jesus does. When we say yes to Him, His fingerprint covers us. 
His identity covers every single mistake that we will ever make. Everything we made in the past and everything we're going to make in the future, Jesus' fingerprint is on it. That's why he died for us. This is what it means when Galatians tells us it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. When you said yes to giving your life to Christ, it meant you're free. Not free to live however you want. Who would do that? When someone willingly knew the price that was paid, how could you possibly turn your back on such a great gift? And why would we not want to live every moment of every day in honor of the lawyer that willingly gave his life, put his fingerprint over the crime? That's what it means to live in freedom. To realize your debt cannot be paid. You can't do it. Jesus can. And then this wonderful verse at the very end. I love this. Hebrews 10, 39. It says this. This is the key to identity. It says, we are not of those who shrink back. We do not shrink back back we do not come back here we do not shrink back in the face of hardship and adversity and sin management and religion and rebellion we don't shrink back in any of that we are not of those people who shrink back into the jail cell and are destroyed no We believe and are set free to live a life pleasing to the one who took our place. That's all it takes. Belief. Faith. I can't give you a ten point reason of how belief and faith work. They just do. You just believe Where do you believe? Judah Smith says you believe in your believer. You trust in your truster. I can't define it. It is what it is. But if you're struggling with that, I promise you that if you get on your knees and you say, Jesus, I just need to believe you. I need to believe that there's freedom in you. He will make a way. He will make a way. Because our identity in Him is sufficient for today and for the rest of our lives. Amen. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. Man, I don't know about you, but as I studied this week, all I want to do is be free. I mean, that is it. (laughs) I want to live in freedom. I want my identity when I walk around and I touch things and my fingerprints are on all over people and situations and stuff. I want people to see Jesus Christ. The freedom that we have if we only
have the faith to accept it. Some of you have been living this life for a long time. You've been trying to do it on your own. And God is screaming at you. You can't do it on your own. Let my son take your place. Not just give you a ticket to heaven, but actually live in abundance right here, right now. For the rest of your life, you can live in freedom. Are you going to mess up? Absolutely. That's what his fingerprint is for. So if you're tired of of playing the game today, and you want to say, Jesus, I want to have the faith to believe. Whether you have done that a thousand times or whether this is your first time, I don't care. What I want to invite you to do is if you want Jesus to be your identity, I would just invite you to stand right now in this moment. This is your opportunity to put a stake in the ground and say, God, this life is yours. If that's you today, just thank you. This is your moment. You don't have to do it anymore. If you're standing this morning, just say this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I love you. And I want to believe you. I don't want to shrink back. I don't want to go back to where I came from. God, I want to have freedom in you. Help me to be selfless. And give me the faith to believe that you will guide me every single day for the rest of my life. I love you. In your name.